Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Grondon. And this week's episode, we will discuss why we can't get the things we love, uh, talking about the men's and women's Final Four. Uh, We will be doing our MLB preview one week into the season, like most people should, honestly, and discussing some of the other big sports discussions that have happened over this week, because there is some interesting uh, stories and developments happening all over the league. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to get into it. Once again, this is the sports break podcast where of course it's not your expert opinion, hot take sort of conversation. It's just kind of like your, you know, if your work has a water cooler, that sort of conversation, just, you know, yeah. casual sports conversations going back and forth. Again, we're not like, I, I can't remember who the guy is. I think it's Rob something, but he has been wrong about Tom Brady for 10 years and he just keeps, I think, doubling and tripling down on his Rob wrong opinion. Oh, you mean we Rob Parker? Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't do that. We, we admit when we're wrong. We admit when we say something stupid because, you know, we're human. We say stupid things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing as bad as Rob Parker, but some, some stupid things. Yeah. Uh, Did you hear our, his new thing yesterday? Uh, I can't imagine it being uh, anything less than hilarious. What? Uh, Steph Curry is just a great shooter, that he's not a transcendent star. I don't even get that argument. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like half of what makes Steph great is the fact that he's a great distributor. Yeah. I mean, he, he only completely changed the game with his jump shot just to say, oh, he's a great yeah. shooter. That, that's, also, I I think, think, that's also, I think, just denigrating what a shooter can do. Yeah. Like that's like saying like, oh, James Harden is just a great score. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, anyway, there are some. There are just some like even when they say some smart things. Like I think he's in the same base as Skip Bayless is, where it's like even when they like hit on things, I'm I I, I think it's very much that old adage of like a clock is a broken clock's right twice a day. Like yeah, I pretty ex- much. I don't expect them to necessarily be the greatest that's why i always appreciate even though he does say some stupid things and he does tvify his opinions but i think colin coward does a good job of describing why he believes in what he believes yeah well the thing is is that uh you know i I feel like these guys or you know girls these guys or girls feel like Mm -hmm. they have to be married to a take forever like an opinion on something can't change so when you know skip bayless has made a whole career off of saying that lebron chokes because, you know, early in his career, he choked a couple of times. But now after he's made the finals 10 straight times or whatever it is um, and all that kind of stuff, won all these championships, LeBron still apparently chokes and can't get it done and doesn't have the clutch factor because he has to stick with yeah. that take forever. Well, it's also like I know this week that clip blew up of uh, Brandon Marshall just being completely wrong about NBA contracts. Oh, yeah. And like. I think it's so true when you see a guy that confidently wrong, like him mm-hmm. just yellingly wrong. And, and not saying that we don't do the same things as human beings when we do this, but it's like, I think that proves that like, look, he knows sports and he even, he is this wrong. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, is I feel like a lot of times when you see athletes in media, I feel like a lot of time they don't think they have to research things. I feel like they can kind of just feel like they can show up and start saying things on TV. Um, I also feel like we maybe give too much leniency to athletes. Like, oh, they're athletes. They know more about the talking about than fans. And most of the time it is true. Like they know more of the like behind the scenes stuff, but like, 
I think when it comes to like evaluating a game and I, I think yeah. that's what NBA on TNT does really well with those guys. Cause I don't agree with everything Chuck and Shaq and Kenny say, but when it comes to just watching a game and giving their opinion on a game, they're usually spot on what they're seeing on the court. Mm-hmm. That's when they try and get into the off the court stuff or like additional factors mm-hmm. that it's like, yeah, you're probably not right on this, man. Well, it's like, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing like to a lesser degree, like Dan Orlovsky on all the shows he's on or, Keyshawn Johnson and these guys on their shows and I'm like we give them these props because they're like hey Keyshawn Johnson's a Super Bowl winner and you know Jay Williams won a Nash uh, college title at Duke right I think did he win one he might have won one he might have won one but it's like you can't tell me that Dan Orzlovsky <laughs> knows that much more about like Miss Mr. Run Out of the End Zone yeah yeah it is what it is. Let's. He was an NCAA championship champion in two thousand one, and college player of the year in two thousand two. Yeah, he would have. I mean, he would have been a great NBA player in my opinion had he not had that motorcycle accident. Yeah, I mean, he definitely had all the capabilities and the skill set. So, but yeah, but again, I think that's the interesting dichotomy of sports reporting in general. Is at the national level, it feels like it's less about who's the right or who has the best facts and oftentimes it comes down to who is the loudest yeah that's definitely true yeah so. which is and, and i get the idea that it's entertainment like i don't necessarily want adam schefter to be like the host of every show because i it'd be very tame and boring and a lot of well here's what i believe but we got to wait for the facts to come out like that's not fun but i feel like we've yeah. done too much the other way we definitely have so but you know, it gets viewership, so they're going to continue to do it until it doesn't. So, but let's get into it. Let's get into, I guess, your bad, bad Tuesday night or bad Monday night. The uh, I'm going to say this off the top of the head. I think the, even though necessarily, not necessarily every, all the games were great. I think this was a very exciting final four on both sides. I think both tournaments, championship round stuff really lived up to the hype. Uh, with the exception of Baylor Houston, that was a train fire. Yeah, that was really bad. Um, I guess so. Yeah, so for the final four, I guess we'll get into that first. It was kind of like, uh, you know, Baylor Houston. One of the things that we kind of said that needed to happen was Houston had to hit shots better than they had, and they did not hit shots, they did yeah. not hit a lot of shots. Um, that was not very it was just, it was a bad performance for them. Plus I feel like you can just see the talent on that team. Now it turned out to be that Baylor was actually just going to smoke everybody. So they're that good. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do feel like you could look at the talent of Houston and say, that's a tier below, you know? Yeah. Well, I think we even talked about it. I I know we talked about it in the office. I think we talked about it on the podcast that they, of the four teams, they had by far the easiest road to the final four. It didn't necessarily look amazing in all of those games. Yeah, like they're, I, you know, tied with Oregon State. I think they were down. I mean, the only game they looked really good was Syracuse because uh, yeah. Syracuse couldn't hit a shot in that game. And so, so, you know, and you're talking about a Baylor team that up until like the COVID hits, up until like they lost uh, a week or two of their season to COVID, they were looking just as good as Baylor or just as good as Gonzaga. Like, from yeah. strength wise. So I think, I think a lot of people 
going into March discounted Baylor just because they went on that two game losing streak did not look so great in the big 12 tournament, but I mean, yeah, they were deadly. And I think Houston clearly proved that they were not of the final four teams. They were the worst overall, and they probably had the most luck going into this, to this tournament because man, they just did not look good at all against Baylor. And yeah. I, I think also part of that is that Baylor's strengths minimize Houston's strengths really well. Yeah. Yeah. They were able to attack them. They were able to get offensive rebounds. They did, you know, Baylor was just impressive through the entire tournament and doing everything that they do really well. Um, and uh, they did it against Houston too. So it was a good performance for them. And then the other, the other final four game was, uh, you know, one of the best final four games ever. You know, it, it, I don't want to overreact and say no, it was the best I, I think, basketball game ever, but it was fantastic. I think legit, like, you know, we talk about Suggs' shot. I think if Suggs doesn't miss that sh- make that shot, this game may go into, like, triple or quadruple overtime. It was so back and forth. Like, yeah. Both teams looked like they had so much left in them. UCLA, I think, really impressed me in the game. And I think I, we talked about this with, um, I think, Oral Roberts in the first two rounds. It didn't play like UCLA was just that much better than Gonzaga or like was having that much better of a game than Gonzaga. They just both looked like they were playing really well. Yeah, they they were. I think the one thing you were thinking as a Gonzaga, or I was thinking, and probably if you're on Gonzaga's bench, the way you're walk, looking at that game is like, okay, these long twos that they're hitting, they're not going to continue to hit these all game they're hitting difficult shots and they just kept going down and you're just like, okay, they're going to stop making these sooner or later, but Juzang wouldn't miss the, uh, the big guy even stepped out and hit a couple mid range shots as well. And it just felt like, you know, you're like, okay, just keep doing what we're doing. Our offense is still, you know, performing at a really high level. Let's just, you know, eventually they're going to miss a couple yeah. shots and they just didn't miss shots. Juzang was playing at an unreal level. And, you know, if he comes back, I think UCLA should be one of the favorites for the national championship. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he's going to come back, honestly. Uh, he, so he may it was have, just an awesome performance from him. I mean, I don't know what, how his NBA draft stock is, but if I were an NBA team, I would look at him because he just looks like a, a constant bucket. Yeah. I mean, the guy hits everything, you know, he's yeah. just such a, such a smooth score. And I think that, you know, scoring something that every team looks for, I think he, he's a little slow. It seems like to me at some times, but I still think he's going to be just fine. He also has that thing that I think a lot of NBA teams like, and that it's, he's a, he's a, he can score at like all facets of the game. Yeah. Like, like the one thing I think you, when you see scores is sometimes they're very one dimensional. He is the epitome of a multi-dimensional. He can score inside. He can score from the three point line. He can score from mid range. He just has a very, like of the, like, obviously he wasn't going to win player of the tournament because he didn't make the, the win, didn't win it. But he, I think had the best tournament of any single player in the, in the suite, in the entire tournament. Yeah. I do think if two guys, if two guys boosted their draft stocks more than anybody else, it was him and it was uh, the the Mitchell brother. Davion Mitchell was a really good all tournament. He didn't have a turnover until the national championship. And his turnover was when they were up by like 15 points anyway. So uh, he had a really good tournament as well. But yeah, just Juzane's pure shot making. He It seemed like he wouldn't miss all tournament. And he was just an incredible player for them. So uh, 
you know, yeah. you got to give him credit. Uh, Suggs hit a huge shot at the end. And I thought Suggs had a really good tournament overall. No. Uh, his team just kind of failed him in the championship. I was going to say Suggs to me, if we're talking just straight draft stock, I think he, you know, he was a guy who some people were like top five, maybe top 10. I think now he has a chance of being that top two, top one pick. Like, yeah, I think, I think people are going to pick Cunningham and, um, Oh, who's the other guy? There's Jalen Green in the G League. That's pretty highly regarded. Too. Yeah, but I think I think Green's going to slip down now because of Suggs' great tournament. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. So basically, all off season we've heard, uh, or all season we've heard that this is basically a five person draft, and then they feel like there's a pretty decent drop off where you might find some role guys, but there's no like bona fide starters or you know stars. It's definitely not as deep as some other drafts. Like I think of yeah. like twenty. 16 that was the year yeah i think 2016 was a pretty good one 2018 was another pretty deep one but yeah i think the interesting thing about this draft is you know you talk about those big the big five in this draft of Suggs, kate cunningham jalen green in the g league you got evan mobley from usc and the fifth guy was uh jonathan kuminga who's also in the g league Mm -hmm. um I think what's so interesting about this draft and, you know, looking at all these guys is they all have different kind of skill sets. Green's just a pure scorer. Uh, Cunningham looks like he could be Ben Simmons with the jump shot almost. Um, although I don't think he's going to be as good defensively, but he has a lot, you know, he's six, seven has point guard qualities and can also light it up when he needs to and take over games. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaminga is this freak athlete at six, eight, six, nine, who I think is really talented. And then, um, Mobley's a seven footer with just all the skill in the world as a seven footer. I think he needs to get a little bigger down there, but he's still really talented overall. So all these guys have differing skill sets that I think all these teams are going to be interesting to see how they approach approach. Are they going to try and take someone who fits is around them or who they think is just the best player. So I think that's going to be the interesting thing. And it kind of could depend on, you know, why I think Suggs could go second on the right team and why I think he can go fifth on the right team, because you know, Suggs, as we were talking about the, you know, Final Four Championship, I think Suggs, I think what's going to make Suggs a great basketball player in the NBA is it just doesn't really matter. He's going to find a way to be an effective player in a game. Whether he goes and locks down your best guard, he can do that. Whether he's just distributing, he can do that. He can rebound. I think the weakest part of his game actually overall is his pure scoring ability because he needs to improve his jump shot. And, if you, you know, shots are a little more difficult for him than Cunningham or Green. So I think that like a team like Orlando, like I think Markel Fultz and him would be a really odd fit because now neither one of them are a score, pure, uh, pure scoring guy, but a team like Minnesota who wants Edwards to take shots and see what they have out of them. I think he'd be a nice fit with Edwards to do kind of the little things that Edwards isn't very good at because Edwards just likes to put up shots. Yeah. Cause if you look at, I have it right now that the, what it would be right now, obviously lottery would put some teams up there too, but you're talking Minnesota has the first pick right now. Obviously, I think Cunningham is the first pick, no matter what team has that pick. I don't think it's like a – I think his pro skill set is possibly crazy. Uh, but you look at two is Houston. They could easily use a point guard like Suggs. Uh, three is Detroit. I think if Detroit – if he's available by Detroit's pick, I think they would easily get him, especially yeah. with what they're building. Uh, four is Cleveland, probably not going a point guard at this point just because of what they have in Sexton. Uh, Orlando, I don't know, Washington. Uh, 
honestly, with how Westbrook's played this year, I think you have to look at another point guard going yeah. forward. I mean, Westbrook has not been the difference maker they thought they'd get from him. <clears throat> Rafter better, but yeah, yeah, he's it's still you know you you get what you get with Westbrook, you know. I have Raptors at seven. Are they yeah. really that bad? Wow. Yeah, they're not doing well this year. Yeah. So so yeah, it's interesting. Like like you said, I think Cunningham is kind of the clear cut number one, just because he does so many things at a high level and he just looks like he's going to be at the very least, he looks like he's going to be an offensive force. I would still probably have green at two. And I think the only reason I'd have green at two is because I just think pure scores at guards kind of translate. Like you look at guys, like, unless it's the undersized guard, like a kind of uh, like a Jimmer Fredette sort of thing, that's where it's questionable. But I think if you look at guys like Booker Mitchell, you know, Bradley Beal, all of those guys are like pure scoring two guards with athleticism. I think he kind of fits that mold and those guys usually just translate well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I definitely think it would be a discussion between uh, green and yeah. Suggs, uh, depending on what you have. Like if you're um, Minnesota, I think you would rather have a Suggs than you would a green just because of what they have with cat. And but yeah, I agree. Cause I think that they want to give Edward shots to see what it is. Cause that's the one kind of score where, you know, it's bad shot selection yep. out of him that you have questions. So they're basically letting him shoot as much as he wants. And mm-hmm. they're going to see if he's going to be good enough to be a want, like a, a pure scorer on a good team. Um, so I think that's where you need a guy like Suggs to pair with him because you need someone who's going to be yep. able to go in and defend and work hard yep. and do all the plus the athleticism of Edwards and uh, Suggs would be insane. So I'd be all for yeah. that. And you're, and you're clearly seeing like with Russell, who I think is more of a pure scorer, it's clearly not working. That that backcourt combo is, I don't want to say trash, because I think they still have a lot of good play in them, but they're clearly don't gel well. I, I just, uh, I think if you have D'Angelo Russell on your team, you're just asking to lose. That's kind of my opinion. I mean, I it's, mean it's, it's, it's kind of turned into the, the Russell Westbrook thing where it's like, he'll provide good stats, but it definitely isn't translating now. So I guess I should preface this with, I actually had him over Okafor and NB in that draft. I thought uh, just his skill set as a point guard in college where he could shoot, light it up and distribute. I was like, this guy's going to be really good. He had the year in Brooklyn where it looked like it was going to work out, Mm -hmm. but he just doesn't do enough of the other things to like play. He doesn't play winning basketball. He wants to get his, and that's all he really cares about. He doesn't care about winning games. So, you know, I think the skill set of Russell is tantalizing, but, you know, if he's not going to work to win games, that's what you're going to get out of him. Yeah, it feels like it's that, like, AI post-2001 situation where it's like he'll light up things, but he's not doing anything to get you guys wins or It's Russell Westbrook right now. He's, you know, a worse version of Russell Westbrook, honestly. Which, honestly... Given, I mean, I guess he's got a better contract than Russell Westbrook, but yeah, slightly, slightly, but uh, so. yeah, they're uh, they're. I mean, the one thing I think you're looking at when you're looking at the board is there is a lot of guards in this draft, from what I saw. Yes. So, teams like, you know, Washington, teams like Orlando, teams like uh, Detroit, and like Houston. Minnesota, especially with what hopefully they can get something for Russell. Uh, there are a lot of options if you need to get a good player, whether it's a point guard or just a good shooting guard in this draft. And hopefully you can find that in this uh, 
this season. So after Suggs' big shot, I honestly, if you had asked me going to the national championship game, I would have taken Gonzaga even with the points. I would have said that they were going to have this bounce back fuel game. Did not turn out how I thought it would. Um, I'd love to hear from the Gonzaga fan what your thought was. <sighs> I would have been interested to see this game if they played in January like they were scheduled to. Um, oh, so if, if this was a rematch? Yeah, because I think the speed of Baylor threw them off. I don't think they were prepared for that. Um, and I think that Baylor came out and kind of hit them in the mouth. Suggs went down mm-hmm. with two fouls and had to come out. And all of a sudden, it just kind of felt deflating from there. Like, I think at one point it was like 19 to 6 Baylor. And for the rest of the game, it was like minus four Baylor over, you know, over Gonzaga. So it was a lot closer after that. But you can't start games down 19 to 6 against Baylor, especially against a team like Baylor. Uh, Baylor, I think all tournament and especially in that championship game, there's three things Baylor did really well all season, which was hit threes, offensive rebound when they missed those threes and defend at a really high level. And you saw in that national championship game that they did all three of those things really well. Gonzaga did, you know, they played really well in transition all season. They hit jump shots really well all season. And they also played really efficient all season. They turned the ball over a lot in that game. They weren't able to get in transition a whole lot. And they weren't hitting jump shots, basically all tournament. And, you know, I got to say, it it sucks because he was a senior this year. Corey Kispert was really disappointing for me this tournament. He wasn't hitting shots. and he Especially was in the maker. final four. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was the shot maker for this team that they really needed. And he just wasn't hitting jump shots. And it kind of killed them because he was their jump shot guy. Um, so they weren't playing as efficient as they normally do because he wasn't hitting outside. And they were turning the ball over. And, you know, Baylor killed them on the boards because that's what they do really well. When they miss, you know, there's live in the three by the three and die by the three. Baylor's live by the three, but if they don't win by the three, they're going to get the offensive rebound and kill you inside. So, you know, Gonzaga was able to get to the free throw line, get back into the game by getting Baylor in foul trouble. But still, you know, if they're going to hit a shot every time and every time they get a switch, they're going to blow by Timmy or whatever. You just, there's no recipe for success then. Yeah. The, and again, I don't think, we talked about this. I don't think that necessarily you know, it's the situation of Gonzaga didn't play anyone. Cause if you look at their non-conference schedule, it's insane. But I do think that for a team that's district or conference schedule was very light and included the, the Pepperdines and the Santa Clara's. I do think this kind of had that feel of like, and they've had this several times at the tournament where they've started off slow, but they've been able to push it up. This game had that feel of like, oh, they, they got punched in, as you pointed out, they got punched in the mouth, but couldn't, didn't know how to respond to that. Didn't, yeah. wasn't able to fully respond to that against such a good team like Baylor. It, it's, a, it's a tough situation. I, again, I think you mentioned this. I think it would have been interesting to see if this was like, if they had seen this team before and this, if this was them scouting them for the second time. Even yeah. if they had won the first game, maybe this, they just know more about this Baylor team, but. Yeah, it felt like it's the thing we see with these smaller schools of they aren't used to getting punched in the mouth all the time. And and, yeah. and again, I think they still were very talented and were a top two team in this country. 
but sometimes you just need to get like Ted Baylor was with after the COVID things, you need to get punched in the mouth so that you have that taste and you know how to respond to that. Yeah. And you know, that was the thing, you know, they crushed Iowa, Kansas, they played a tight game against West Virginia, but at the same time, they're kind of in control the whole time, even though it ended up a five point win. So you're fine. Uh, So at the, it's like, you know, they play one tight game, basically all regular season and they still were felt pretty in control during the game. This was the first game where it felt like they looked lost at times. And, you know, I don't think it was a huge like talent gap either. I think Baylor just out hustled them in that game and did the things they wanted to in that game. I don't even know, you know, if this was a seven game series, I don't think one game means that Baylor would probably sweep them. Now you could probably say Baylor wins the series, but I still think Gonzaga, you know, would have games where they'd figure things out and, I think there are some matchup things that they had to look at and they probably were just desperate to try and come back. And he means so much for them offensively, but it would have been interesting to see if they went extended minutes with Timmy out mm-hmm. because as good as Timmy was all tournament. And, you know, if you're talking about Juzang and Mitchell as the top two players at the tournament, Timmy was probably third through the season. You know, he had a fantastic tournament up until the, uh, no, the no, no, no. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, so I think the one thing, though, was that maybe they could have tried some extended minutes with Timmy out and put Watson in because Watson, you know, he's 6'8", but he's actually a terrific defender. And it just seemed like anytime Timmy is on the court, they're switching up, they're switching him on to Mitchell and Mitchell's going by him or, you know, somebody's hitting a jump shot because they hit a ton of jump shots. I think that's the one thing you could have looked at and said, maybe we try this and, you know, try and match up with them a little better. But at the same time, they were down by so much. I don't think it even mattered at that point. Yeah, the the problem with Timmy was he had such a great like lead up to the Final Four. He had an okay game against UCLA, not great, but definitely not anything you'd write off against. But yeah, that Baylor game proved why he's a he's a guy who's a matchup like liability at times. And Baylor definitely like if I, I think talking to that idea of like if they played in a seven game series, I think just that Timmy situation would have probably put Baylor over the top just because they Mitchell is such a nightmare matchup assignment you know yeah yeah it's it's and again I think of this team more like the Indiana State team of 1979 the team that you know was the last team that made the finals undefeated and then lost where it's they are very good and very talented but you know, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. It's it's sad because I saw after the championship game, Pepperdine trended on Twitter. And a lot of people were bringing up the right point that like when a team doesn't face the competition of a power five schedule, it sometimes can hurt them. But I think people are going to discount this Baylor or this Gonzaga team just because they lost, but forgetting that they were dominant for so many of their other games. Yeah. And they still have really talent, you know, they have talented players on their team. It's not like they're playing with a bunch of two stars, no. you know, that, that's the thing with Houston, you know, the, the recruiting isn't also there, you know, there, there's not a lot of high recruits in Houston's team. And it looked like it when they played, you know, when they played finally a good team yeah. in Baylor, you know, this team had good recruits. They just had a bad game. I thought, yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you can have the Gonzaga conference conversation altogether. Um, you can have it over and over again, but unless these like group of five teams decide they want to band together and do one like super conference, they're not going to get better competition because that's just the size of their school. This team's never going to be able to make it in the Pac-12 because of their program. So, you know, 
Yeah. It, it, it is what it is at this point. But it's also the, the situation of like, you know, again, as you talked about, like this is a team with like really good recruits and they're going to have like at least a top five guy, probably uh, depending on where uh, Kithford goes, maybe the lottery guy in him. They'll have some really high draft picks. I just feel like this team is going to get discounted because of the performance. And it happens. I remember when Kentucky in 2014 went on their big run and then just laid a goose egg against Connecticut in the championship game. A lot of people have, and now granted partially it was because the next team went undefeated through the regular season, but it's, it's disappointing to see that like, just because the fruit of your efforts doesn't necessarily produce into a legacy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this team still, in my mind, is going to be talented enough. You know, they they still have mm-hmm. a ton of recruits. They're still the mm-hmm. favorite for, uh, you know, uh, Chad Holmgren, who's the number one player in the country. There's Walker Kessler at North Carolina, who's a top 20 player last year, who's transferring, and Gonzaga's the favorite for him. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's not for a lack of talent, because there is talent coming into the program, um, you know. They just need, you know, they just got to win the big one next year. So yeah. we'll see uh, what happens. Of the two championship teams, which team do you think is going to get, he's going to be better next season? Um, I think Gonzaga by default. Um, I think Timmy will be back, which, you know, he's going to be a player of the year candidate. I think, like I said, if they manage to get Holmgren too, and also Kessler, hmm. I mean, there's no reason that team shouldn't be number one. Cause they're going to have like five bigs again. And they're always in the market for uh, – they got another point guard coming in, Dominic Harris, who's really good. And Baylor loses four starters, I believe. Or, you know, they're projected to lose four starters depending on who goes to the draft, which it seems like Mitchell's probably going to go to the draft. I think he's point. declared today. I think he declared today. Yeah. So they're probably going to lose four starters this season. So I imagine that, you know, while Gonzaga does lose Suggs and Kispert, they got a lot of guys still coming in because they're, you know, a great recruiting program. I don't think Baylor's going to drop off the cliff completely because I think Scott Drew has built a good program. But I mean, the talent level of Gonzaga is just going to be higher next season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Baylor does with you. You imagine Kansas is going to bounce back. You imagine I'd love to see what Texas does under Matt Beard. Uh, Oklahoma State, are they going to be anything next year with Kate Cunningham leaving? It's it's going to be an interesting. The, back, the Big 12, I think, is one of the more interesting div- conferences in basketball, so we'll see what they do. Yeah, Big 12 is going to be interesting. Um, Oklahoma know, you, now with Moser, the head coach. Yeah, so. well, three three teams are getting new coaches, basically, right? With yeah. uh, them, Texas Tech, and Texas. And, um, Has you know, Tech announced a new head coach? I don't think they've announced one yet, but they're basically the last big domino for Division One schools. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, I, I think I love... I, I've heard a lot of people around here saying the North Texas guy. I forget his name, but uh, that'd be a good. I hire. mean, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's 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 done good. He's done well for that program. So yeah. I mean, so I I do think next year you probably got to look at. I I do think UCLA is going to be pretty darn good, and if Juzang comes back, I think they're going to be really good. Yeah. So I think that'll be an interesting team. Um, but if Juzang doesn't come back, they're probably looking at. 10 to 15 range rather than what I think could be a top five team. Um, I'd love to see how the tournament success for the Pac-12 relates to next season because you expect UCLA, USC, Oregon, like all these teams did really – Oregon State did really good. 
to see if any of that translates into next year's postseason success will be. Well, so yeah, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the tournament, you know, this was a really weird year because we didn't get a lot of non-conference matchups that we usually get. Not to mention that, you know, nobody stays up to watch the Pac-12, it seems like, anymore. Um, So it's... I feel like they deliberately scheduled them like an hour later than most people are willing to just for the fun of it. Yeah. So it it seemed like, you know, it seemed like almost every Pac-12 team except for like Colorado was like two seats too low. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that's like overcorrected next year or corrected just right, or, you know, with more non-conference matchups, we'll have more data because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think this means the big 10 is overrated because they had a bad tournament and PAC 12 had a good tournament. You know, they had a ton of teams and a ton of teams lost. I still think the big 10 was the best conference this year. Um, just be, and I don't think it changes just because they lost the good teams in the tournament. Yeah, I think the Big Ten, the one thing I really like about them is, and, and maybe Mike Woodson can turn it around at Indiana, but you just see it. it, it it's it's like the SEC in football where it's like, oh, we just got done with Michigan. Who, who do we face next? Ohio State? Okay, now who are we facing after that? I, like, it's a gauntlet of murderers row, and if they yeah. can keep that, like, obviously I don't know how long they can keep that up because – that's really hard to keep up in basketball, but if they can keep that up, that's going to be impressive and create a power conference for the next 10 years, hopefully. Yeah. And, um, Oh, I forgot one more coaching job too was Arizona because Sean Miller got fired today. So. Yes. Uh, that Arizona is a weird situation because we still don't know what the results of the FBI investigation are going to f- figure out. Uh, the, the, the firing seemed like it didn't have anything to do with that and more just performance, but we'll see if, yeah, we'll, we'll see if maybe further Alex sanctions are being sent to the, the school. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure you can still find them for stuff. Yeah. I know they had the postseason ban this year, even though I don't know if they even would have made a tournament if they didn't have it. Maybe, um, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of great basketball players from Arizona in the past, so they're going to have plenty of people to pick from if they want to. Uh, I think Josh Pastner went to Arizona too, so that'd be an interesting yeah. one after his best Georgia Tech season. Richard Jefferson? That'd be it. I don't, I'm going to say no just because I like Richard Jefferson as a commentator. So <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, I'm trying to think even think of who I would look at. I mean – I think this offseason we got genuinely good hires. The only one that was like a really to me was a Hubert Davis to North Carolina, but he is a long-term assistant. So that makes sense. But, you know, you're talking about Moser going to Oklahoma and uh, Woodson to Indiana and then Beard to Texas, man, Texas is getting those big name hires. They're trying to really do a good yeah. job. I mean, I think that was a good hire. You're right. I think Oklahoma was a good hire getting Moser. It'll be interesting to see those yeah. two teams at the next level. Um, yeah. And I'm not, I think, saying, I'm not saying Davis is a bad hire. I think it was more like a you're, you're North Carolina and you're going for an assistant coach. Yeah, that was the one thing. Like, I thought there was a chance they would go for someone like Nate Oates at Alabama. Yeah. And, you know, because North Carolina is one of those jobs that, you know, no it's matter a who blood. it is yeah yeah you're thinking about it no matter what so it'll be interesting to see but uh yeah i, I do think arizona is going to have plenty of people to pick from whether it's you know a guy like i think pastor is going to be a candidate uh 
Luke Walton is a candidate, I think. Luke um, Walton makes a lot of sense because, A, he has that coaching background, both in, like a lot of the NBA. But also, I think he could do a great job of, I don't want to say rebranding because I don't think he's been a terrible coach, but he definitely could use a great stint. Like he could be Juwan yeah. Howard. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Damon Stoudemire is at Pacific right now. That'd be an option, although I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think Gonzaga's candidate is uh, Tommy Lloyd, the assistant, who's been their, you know, big recruiting guy for a number of years. I think he's a candidate too. Yeah. Do you think he would leave? Um, it'd be interesting. I think he has been with Gonzaga for so long. He's been their European guy. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been their European and Canada recruiter, which is, you know, really how Gonzaga's program really started to take off was getting those guys overseas. Um, it'd be interesting. I could see, you know, the allure of wanting to a run your own program and also be it being Arizona is the program you're running. That's pretty enticing. So, yeah. Well, we'll see. I guess I, if I had to predict, I would say Luke Walton makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I do think Walton makes a lot of sense. I think Passner makes a lot of sense too. I he think does. he kind of redeemed himself with his performance in the, um, at Georgia tech this year. And, uh, you know, he's clearly a good recruiter and that's the first step to being a, uh, you know, a coaching candidate for Arizona. Speaking of Arizona, I'd, uh, love to talk about the women's tournament for a little bit because all three games of the final four were amazing. Like if you like women's college basketball, those three games were all except for the Arizona Connecticut game, all were to the last minute, all were really close, all were really exciting. Like, in the way that the Baylor, both Baylor games disappointed me, I think I was really impressed with the tournament. And I also predicted a winner. I actually predicted Stanford would win it somehow. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, Arizona, you know, I think you got to tip your caps to them. They, that defense Absolutely. was... That, that defense was insane against Connecticut. You know, I think one of the things was Houston wasn't hitting jump shots. Uh, I think Baylor played pretty good defense, but I think Houston also missed plenty of opportunities. UConn didn't have a lot of clean looks. Arizona was just stifling on defense. Yeah. And, the, you know, that was their game. They were going to play defense, and then Ari McConnell, McDonald uh, was going to play offense. And I thought she was terrific, obviously, this entire tournament, uh, particularly in the Final Four. And then I thought Arizona played excellent defense through the final four. I thought they played really good and they did everything they wanted to against Stanford, except for hit with the final shot. Yeah. That the, the, the Stanford uh, Arizona game was really, it was kind of an opposite of the Stanford South Carolina game in that it really only got going in the final two minutes. Like yep. most of that Stanford Arizona game was Stanford, like, I don't say comfortably ahead, but like a good few points ahead, never really one possession. And then that final two minutes, it got really heated back and forth. And yeah, it was just, I'm excited that Stanford got their, I think it was first tournament wins since, or not first tournament, first championship since like the nineties. And, you know, that's a team that's kind of struggled over the late. So to see them bounce back over the last couple of years, uh, see Arizona have this huge run and especially with them being the team that lost a that beat AM. I'm glad to see that we at least lost to a team that was this close to winning a championship. And uh, yeah, just overall, even more than most years, I think this 
NCAA women's tournament was really, really exciting for what it presented. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought there was just high level of basketball played, Mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, you look at some of the individual talents in this tournament, you know, you talk about Bukers, uh, Kristen Williams was unfairly fouled out in that, uh, uh, I thought in that uh, game against Arizona, even though, you know, I don't think it would have had as much effect on the game as people are talking about, but I didn't think it was a foul for that last foul that fouled her out. Um, Bukers was obviously excellent. McDonald was obviously excellent. Um, and uh, Haley, what's her name? Haley. Uh, oh my gosh. You're talking about the Stanford player? Yes. You know who I'm talking about. I know you're talking about. I can't remember. They had like three or four really. Haley good. Jones. That's yes. It. Yeah. Yes. Haley Jones. Uh, you know, she was probably the best player for the entire tournament through. She was excellent. I thought in every game she played, she did a really good job for Stanford. And, uh, you know, give them a lot of credit for their performance. They were excellent this season. Yes, and it'll be interesting to see if, you know, this momentum leads to a Stanford dynasty. Because we've seen that a lot in college basketball, in the women's side, where one tournament win then turns into, like, three or four tournament wins. And this the Stanford team, I think, is really set up well in that they're very young and very they're, – they're still, I think, on the upswing in terms of recruiting, in terms of building themselves – but yeah, you got to look at them and say they're very good, and <laughs> that Pac-12 next year is going to be crazy. They could be what the SEC has been in women's. Yeah, yeah, I think they got to replace their point guard, but overall, they're they're really good. I think UConn obviously is going to be back yeah. with, um, you know, Buker's going to be there for I think at least one more year, right? Yeah, I, and it's Oriyama. He always finds good players. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, a really good game overall, and hey. Uh, the Dallas Wings here have, I think, uh, four picks, three picks in the top seven of this next draft, four picks in the top seven. Yeah. So, can can uh, I also say that uh, the NBA, the WNBA draft really confuses me at times? Like, I, yeah. like, I, like when I first saw that, it was like, it was like, oh, uh, mediocre players getting traded for the fifth and the seventh overall pick. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's two first round picks for a player who's good, but isn't like, like you'd think like Luka Doncic or you'd think like some superstar would get traded for the fifth and seventh. I don't know. The women's basketball draft, I don't want to say it's baffling, but it, it has things that watching other drafts is really different and complex. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like at, still at this point, like, it seems like the top like five picks are like worthwhile. And then after that, who knows? Um, but even but, then that's like half of the draft. Or at least yeah, half exactly. the first round. Yeah. So, you know, Dallas currently is projected at this latest mock draft. Charlie Collier at Texas, who was terrific this year, obviously. What pick and two? With pick one. Really? Awak- you, or you be saying, that's right. Yeah. Awak Kuyer out of Finland with pick two. Okay. And then Ari McDonald at pick five from Arizona. So, you know, I, I, I think she's going to go higher than five at this with her tournament. It'll she be had a very, she had a very juicing like tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. It'll be interesting. If they're able to fill out that kind of roster in the draft, that, that's going to be a fun team next year. Hopefully. I mean, I think the, the wings have always been that team that every year I'm like, well, they have some interesting players. This should be fun. And then I see the product on the court and I'm like, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. So they're kind of like those mid 2010 Mavericks. 
until they won the championship. No, no, no. I'm ta- no, no. I'm talking like the like 2013, 14, 15. Like oh, fair enough. Okay, yeah. Like like okay product won games, but was never that exciting. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. it'll so. be interesting. But yeah, it was a great tournament overall. I thought there was a high level of basketball played, and you know, yeah. the top end talent, the star talent, was really there. Yeah, I also like the fact that because they they went back to the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday schedule that they do for the Final Four, it very much was a good, like, I could just watch a game. It wasn't like I was waiting to find out when the game was. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. Though I do do admit I I got into the Baylor-Houston game late and then just didn't watch it because I saw the score. Yeah. (laughs) It was like a 30-point game when I turned it on, and I was like, okay all right i'm good yeah i'm good i don't need to watch you stinky pricking shots yeah so but yeah i thought it was a good tournament overall on both sides it was fun to watch and um yeah now we transition to baseball or end of basketball and then baseball season yeah we're in uh full into baseball so well that one of the things i really like about the, the pro sports schedules is there's so much overlap to like we're the start of baseball season but we're like three weeks away from the nfl off season and we're like three weeks away from the basketball postseason. So it's like, it's not until we get to like June that everything just dies. We, we just get flung into just baseball. But it's like, yeah, we get some good in between. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a fun, uh, I think, couple months here for baseball heading into the, uh, you know, a full regular season. So uh, we're getting that back finally back. Yeah, we're finally uh, back to 162 games where I probably missed like 80 of them just out of spite. Yeah, it, it's a tough schedule, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's still going to be the sport forever. No. I don't think that's no. changing anytime soon. No, and I get it, and I get why, you know, A, baseball likes it, and B, why it's good for fans because you don't necessarily – it's not like – you know, I think the NFL works so well because you want to watch all 16 games a season. Baseball has so many games that it designs you like, you don't have to watch all the games. Yeah, and I think it knows it. Uh, though I do, I, I had a guy who I worked with who did watch one year all the, I think it was Rays games, like all 162 Rays games. Yeah, I mean, I which, used to, I used to be a lot more into it when I was in high school. I mean, I was a complete psychopath in high school because I had nothing better to do. Um, so I would, you know, I'd probably churn out 140 Red Sox games. And I was probably also getting 80 Bruins games plus NBA and yeah. Gonzaga games at the same time. So I had no life. So that was the big reason. That's, so. Yeah, that, that I mean, again, I'm not saying anything, but that just sounds like too much sports. <laughs> if there is That's- such a thing as too much sports, that sounds like it. Yeah, now that I have a little bit of responsibility, it's a lot harder, but, you know, that was my life for a while. Yeah, I I would love, you know, with you being married, I'd love you'd have to be like, sorry, honey, I got to watch this Red Sox game. It's game uh, 72 of the season, and they've only won 10 games. She she didn't want to go out the, uh, like, a few weeks ago, and I told her the Atlanta Hawks and Bulls were on. (laughs) Yeah, so, I'm assuming that was a straight no from her. Uh, we went to a place I could watch the game, so yeah, that's um, yeah. I mean, 
it's 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 funny but we're we we're actually this is the baseball is the one sport where we both like the same team we're both red sox fans and we're both just like meh about the yeah. team listen they've been doing the really Rays, good this, baby they've Swept been doing the good to start the season i'm not uh, denying that this is kind of the team i thought we'd get last year now whether or not the like the shock of the 62 game season or 60 game season hurt them a lot last year is whatever. But this is the team I thought we'd get like have some good moments, have some like play better than they people expect in some games and then completely underperforming others. So yeah, I didn't love the sweep against Baltimore, but they're able to come back and sweep the Rays and hit the ball really well. Uh, you know, we've been hearing from basically everyone that wanted to, you know, in the locker room that JD Martinez was going to bounce back. And he's been really good so far this season. He's already got 11 RBI. Um, I'm glad here. He was one of my favorite guys from the 18 team. So yeah, he was really. He's been really good. Bogart's been good. Um, Christian Vasquez uh, hit the big tying home run yesterday. Um, he he looks the part, man. He looks like he's going to be a good catcher for a long time. I like Marwin Gonzalez. I think at the very least, you can look at this team and say they're going to hit. Um, they didn't against Baltimore at all. But I think you can look at this team and say they're going to hit, which just means that they need basically like two or three of their starters to be like solid this season. I think Evaldi has looked really good in his first two starts. Nick Pavetta looked really good in his first start. Uh, Martin Perez looks solid in his first yeah. start. You hope you get Rodriguez back and he goes back to good form. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you're looking at this and while – you just need a couple of these guys to be pretty darn good or just solid. And I think this could be a pretty good team. I think the bullpen's a little underrated. They got to be able to hit. The, they're going to be able to hit though. Um, as long as the pitching staff can hold up, I think that's going to be a pretty good team. Um, that being said, I think even pretty good team is looking at third or fourth in the division. Cause I think the blue Jays are going to be very good. And I think the Yankees are going to be pretty good again. Uh, and the Rays have the possibility of still being good. I don't think, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year because obviously they lost a lot of parts, but I think the Rays, I think you'd be kidding yourself if you said the Rays are going to have a huge slide. Yeah, exactly. The Rays are going to be fine. I think overall, um, they'll probably be alongside with us as like a mid tier team, but the Yankees have the lineup to match up with us and you know, their pitchers are good when healthy. It's just that they got to stay healthy and, the Blue Jays can really hit the ball. They have so many guys in that lineup with Marcus Simeon coming in. They have, you know, Bo Bichette, still really good young prospect. Kevin Biggio, still a really good, talented young prospect. That outfield of Lords Guriel, Randall Grychuk, and Teoscar Hernandez might be the best in baseball in hitting. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is still a really good prospect and hitting the ball like crazy already. Yeah. They, so, they may be my most exciting team of this season just because they have so much offense yeah i mean i think as a team you know i think them and the reds are two teams that people need to watch just because i think both of them can be pretty good yeah and the uh, reds have that thing of they may get into a fight every game <laughs> yeah well I mean, honestly <laughs> yeah yeah i mean honestly and you know this team that team is also mashing to start the year so yeah. yeah, I mean, I think both of those teams can be really exciting. Whether they harness it in the wins or not remains to be seen, but they look the part. Um, you know, at this point, though, you know, I think if you're not betting the Dodgers in the NL, you're kind of kidding yeah. yourself. Yeah. I still feel like they're the favorites. You can talk me into the Braves. You could talk me into maybe the Cardinals sneaking in there or the Padres 
or, you know, maybe the Mets figure some things out and sneak in there uh, early in their season, but the Dodgers are still the clear cut favorite yeah. in the NL. I think so going, uh, keeping on the track of like, who's the best. I think you look at just by roster, the Dodgers have just so much more talent than every other team in the league. Yeah. Like it's, 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 we talk a lot about like the, the super teams we see in the NBA and like with the nets right now and how it's stupid that they can just get these buyout candidates and get like, you know, even if you're getting like seeing what we're getting out of Blake Griffin right now with the nets, it's stupid to see what the Dodgers are doing where it's like, Oh, we were world series champions and very dominant last year. Hey, let's get the NL Cy Young winner. Like, yeah, no kidding. It is ridiculous what they are. And again, this does not necessarily mean that they're going to win the world series. We saw it in 2019 where the nationals just got really hot and had a great pitching staff and were able to win the world series. But if you're talking about like betting right now, like a week into the season, you cannot tell me that you wouldn't think the Dodgers have the superpower to do it because they're the same team they were last year, but add Bauer, who's looked really good this year. Yeah, and he yeah. was terrific last year, obviously, winning the Cy Young. Yeah. He's a really good player overall. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to pick against them just overall with their talent and everything they can do. They can hit. They can hit for power. They can pitch. They can field really well. They have great defensive players. Um, you know, and they have, you know, MVP candidates. And, you know, you look at guys like Bellinger, Seager, Betts. Those are three of, like, probably the top nine MVP candidates. I put him three of top five right now. I mean, Seager's yeah. the question mark, but I think Betts and Bellinger, two guys who, if they were just on different teams, would be two top three guys. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just looking at that roster and it's like, it's really hard to beat that over a seven game series. So they're still my favorites. Like I said, I think there's teams like, I think the Mets can be sneaky good this year if they can get enough power out of their lineup. Um, I think like, the Cardinals can be pretty good this season. And, you know, obviously, you know, I talked about the Reds, you know, the Reds have scored 57 runs in six games, which is just absurd. They have a plus 31 run differential already. It's funny Um, to think of this as the same Reds team from last year, because last year the Reds were so good on pitching and not good on offense. Yeah. And this year they've just like, and obviously small sample size, but they just look so good on offense. The pitching has been okay. Not that great. What is going on with the Reds right now? Yeah, I mean, they're just hitting the ball really well. Nick Castellanos already has four home runs. Yeah, he, I think Tyler Nakin also. Yeah, he's just a really good player. I, I guess going back to the question of who would be the – if there is a team in the NL who could upset the Dodgers, who could be that team who you could look at as maybe an NLCS team, I think you'd have to go the Braves just because I think they're the most complete team outside of – the Dodgers. Maybe I think the, the Car- Braves are definitely in the conversation. I really like the Cardinals too. I think the Cardinals Aaron Arenado really makes them possibly deadly in the playoffs, but I could also see this team not making it at all. Just yeah. that's, that's the Cardinals right now with their pitching staff. Yeah, I mean that's the same thing. So them and the Reds are the same thing for me. I I have questions about the pitching staff, which is the only thing, but I think that there could be some starters on the market too at the trade deadline that maybe one of them at if they feel like they're close. Um, and I'm still not going to discount the Padres. I know Tatis got injured early in the season, um, who was my MVP pick, actually. So, um, 
I did pick him, but yeah, I mean, he got hurt early in the season, but I still think that's a really good lineup and an excellent pitching staff as well that, you know, they're going to be in the conversation. I don't know if they have the firepower to beat Los Angeles, but I don't know a lot of teams who do, who just looking at face value, they got to get hot in the postseason. The problem with the Padres is they feel like, do you remember the, the, the 2011 Eagles, the, like the dream team Eagles where they had like all this talent across the board, but they just did not mesh at all. So they didn't, they imploded. Yeah. I feel like it's, it could be like that is my problem is they have so much talent, but I don't know if it's going to work this year. It could be a year away from being the threat they could be. Um, Yeah. I mean, again, when Tatis gets back healthy, that lineup is so much better with him in it. Uh, The pitching staff, I still th- I think it's good. I don't think it's great yet because I just need to see more. I, I'm Darvish is still a question mark to me because he was really good last year, but he's been, he w- was struggling for a few years going into that. So is he like that last year Darvish or is he like 2018 Darvish? It's going to be an interesting question with what the uh, Padres are doing. Yeah. But again, again, if you're asking the question of like betting wise, if you're going to bet in an NL team, you've got to bet on the Dodgers. Uh, likewise, if you're on the AL side, I think you'd have to go right now, the Yankees, just because of their firepower. I personally don't know if this this athletics team is there yet. I don't think this athletics team is good enough. I think um, – I feel like it's a lot more wide open, honestly. I think, like I said, if the Blue Jays can get a couple good starters, I think they have the offense to compete with a lot of teams – uh, the Yankees, I feel like are there, but they have plenty of injury riddled guys on, you know, in their lineup and also in their staff that have a lot of questions for me. Um, I think that the angels can actually be sneaky good this year. We I say that, that every year though, and every year they disappoint. <laughs> well, I don't really think, you know, I thought last year that team was bad, but you know, they have Rendon. They have guys like Jared Walsh, who's been excellent so far this season early on. Um, They have guys like Otani who can provide some power. And, you know, I don't think this pitching staff's that bad either. I think Dylan Bundy is a pretty good starter. And I think Alex Cobb's a pretty good starter. Now you look at starters three through five, you have a little more questions, but I think that's the team that can be sneaky good. Cause I think the Astros, despite the hot start, I think probably take a step back this year. Although, you know, they're still, talent on that team and then you look at the NL or the AL Central I still like the White Sox even though I'm concerned Tony La is going to ruin everything <laughs> um that's a really talented roster although losing Eloy Jimenez really hurts and then by the way I, world- I love the fact that uh they like pried out his jersey on opening day as if he like died <laughs> did yeah. you see that like like yeah, it was, it was a weird. like it was like treating him like he had just like like sacrificed himself for his country and like guys he just got injured (laughs) yeah and then my world series pick out of the ao um a team i'm really interested in this year i think can be very good really good pitching staff uh enough hitters i think to make things happen plus you know i don't think they're a great average team but they have plenty of power in that lineup and that's the minnesota twins really Minnesota, minnesota twins i think are really interesting with miguel sano Byron Buxton and Nelson Cruz. That's a ton of power in their lineup. Nelson Cruz at like 50 years old already has three home runs this season. Andrelton Simmons, you know, 
great defender. They have plenty of really good defenders on that side of the ball. And then they got really good staff in Jose Barrios, Kenta Maide, Matt Shoemaker, Michael Pineda. This is a good staff too. I really like this team overall. I think it's a really complete team. And with a wide, wide open AL, I think the most complete team wins. And I like Minnesota. I, I, I cannot believe you just said that. I don't believe that at all. I think Minnesota is a good team. I think they're probably a playoff team, but I don't think they're anywhere near as close as the Yankees, the Athletics, or the Astros right now. Uh, I may, I may put them behind the White Sox to me right now in that division. In the, in they could the, be, but at in, the same time, all they need to do is a wild card spot. Yeah, it, it, we're going back to last year, right? It, or to six to teams, right? Or five teams, right? Uh, I believe there's still an extra wild card spot. Oh, really? There's six teams now. Because last year they went to eight, right? I think so. Um, let me see. This is great content. Me looking. Oh, it's great. Up. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'll give you my thoughts while while he's googling that. Um, I personally think that the Yankees. This Yankee team feels to me like the Dodgers team from like a few years ago, where it's like after just years and years of frustration of slowly building up this juggernaut, but not being able to turn it into wins. I think they finally built a team that's really good across the board. Um, whether it's their pitching staff's really good, led by a really good ace in Garrett Cole. I think they're a team who's easily going to go and look for another starter, kind of a gr- like a grinky in the offseason to put them over the top. Uh, their offensive lineup is deadly across the board. Uh, I know people are weird about the Ruggie Odor trade, but I think that just adds more firepower to an offense that already has so much firepower. Um, I do agree with you that the AL Central is, a, or the AL in general, is a lot more uh, even across the board uh, compared to the NL, where you know Team Eight is probably just as good as Team Three. Uh, especially on any given day. And, you know, there are some teams, especially late, like the Blue Jays, the Rays, uh, whether it's the White Sox or the Twins in the Central, whether it's the Astros Athletics or, um, uh, why am I blanking? Angels. Angels, I guess, in the uh, AL West. But I still think that you've got to go with the ace and the really good lineup, which we've seen a lot in the in the postseason. And to me, that has to be the Yankees right now. And that hurts me as a Red Sox fan to say that. But if I had to like put my money down right now that there's a team that's going to make it out of the AL, it's got to be the Yankees right now, just because they have so much more than I think other teams do. All right, here's why I'm not picking the Yankees. Uh, They basically replaced two injury-riddled pitchers, uh, James Paxton and uh, Tanaka. With an aging Corey Kluber and Jamison Talon, who hasn't pitched since 2018 because of injuries. So I just, you know, I think that there is talent on this team. And I just think a lot has to go right for me to believe that the Yankees are the best team in the AL, meaning Kluber and Talon have to stay healthy. Jordan Montgomery has to reach his potential for the season. Domingo German has to come back and be as good as he as everyone thought he was, you know, a couple of years ago. And then you know, once again, on the offensive side of the ball, Aaron Judge has to stay healthy. Giancarlo Stanton has to stay healthy. And you're going to rely on Gary Sanchez to hit over 200. I'm not going to rely on that either. I think that there's a lot of question marks with this Yankees team still. Just because, you know, 
I think at the end of the day, health is kind of a skill. I think being able to stay healthy and stay on the field means a lot. And I don't trust a lot of these guys on the Yankees team to stay on the field anymore because we have so much data that they don't. We have so much data that Aaron Judge doesn't stay on the field during the season. We have so much data that a lot of these pitchers don't stay on the field during the season. And that's why I'm not, you know, I think this is a good team. I think it's potentially a great team. And, you know, they could easily, you know, win 95 games and make the World Series because of that. It's just if I'm going to pick a World Series champion, I want one I feel a lot more confident in that the team's going to stay healthy and playing in October. And that's why a team like the Twins, like the, you know, even the White Sox, like I said, I still really like that team, even with Tony La Russa. Um, Those are teams that I trust a little bit more than the Yankees, where I don't know who's going to be on the field by the end of September, October. I don't know. I just, I, I trust more this season that the Yankees are going to be healthy rather than we're going to see the twins peaking or we're going to see the Astros be great this year. I just, I don't know. There's something, I think the firepower of the Yankees is too good right now to deny that. Um, the one thing I will say also is I think whatever team gets out of the AL, I wouldn't be surprised if they get swept in the world series, just because exactly. I think, I think even compared to that race team last year, that, a lot of people believe stole a game or two from the, the, the uh, Dodgers. I think this year's teams are much worse. Yeah, I probably agree with that. Um, I think there's some potential. I think there's some interesting stuff. I am really interested in the angels. Honestly, I do think that there's a lot of bats in that lineup. Um, it'll be interesting, but yeah, I yeah. mean, I, again, I, I think I'm like, I'm like you with the Yankees with the angels, which is like, I've, bought in every year that the angels are going to be different this year and every year they've proven me wildly wrong you know so please angels i am not going to bet on you until you prove me wrong i yeah i'm going to stubbornly stick to my gumption wouldn't that be an interesting one at all la world series i mean the dodgers would kill that team yeah, I mean, the Dodgers feel like they kill just about everybody, right? Yeah, now. but I, I mean, especially if you're talking about a team that has some interesting bats but has question marks on the pitching side, you can't tell me that the Dodgers pitching staff mixed with their offense couldn't just win games like eight to two. That's probably true. It'll be interesting to see. Um, like, if there was a team that I think had the best potential to steal games from the 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 world's it may be it's the I twins was, yeah it's the, the twins rotation. or maybe the blue jays if they can get another pitcher just because yeah. i think they have the 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 good roundness of their team yeah and they do have the lineup to hit but if you're talking about a team that can go and probably pitch against that dodgers team yeah because i don't think there's a lot of teams that can i think the twins have the best rotation yeah. to be able to do that so yeah let's uh let's also talk about some of the Worst teams we think are going to be in the in uh, baseball this year. Last year it was the Pirates, I believe. Yeah, they'll probably be there again. You think you think they're going to be there again? Yeah, Brian Hayes is already hurt, which kind of stinks because he's their really exciting prospect who's coming up. Uh, probably the rookie of the year favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be bad, and I, you know, I think you got to look at the team in the bottom of the end of the West, just because not only I think are they going to be bad in the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. But at the same time, they got to play the Padres and the Dodgers a ton, which doesn't help their yeah, cause. Also, I, I may I think that may be why I put the Rockies there. You know, talk about you lose Arenado. They they're a team that's talked about. You know, they're currently one in four. Uh, there are two other teams that are one in five in the uh, 
Marlins and the Pirates. Um, making sure there's no or and the Athletics are one and six. Wow. Um, yeah, you're talking about a Rockies team that lost Arenado. Probably is going to trade Trevor Story this year unless they're just that stubborn. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a tough situation for them, especially in a you know I think the the Giants have a three and three record. They may be bad, but I also think they may steal some games from other teams in that division. So yeah. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, yeah. if this goes sideways for the Rock- Rockies quick, are guys like John Gray and then also guys like Story on the market? Because I think just about every team in baseball would take a good hitting shortstop right now, probably besides like four, five, yeah. Yeah. you know, good hitting shortstops aren't very common anymore. Especially so with like a... Story, I think could go yeah. for a lot. Especially as productive as Story's been, inconsistent as Story's been. He's very consistent, very, yeah. It's a, He's just it's such a, a good baseball player. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the Pirates may be in a tough situation in that same vein, though, because they're in a division with the Reds, Cardinals, Brewers, and Cubs. Uh, mm-hmm. That may be just top to bottom the toughest. <laughs> Those are the division with the best stadiums, by the way. Fun fact. Except for the Pirates. <laughs> no, the Pirates have one of the best stadiums in baseball. PNC is constantly heralded as a great ballpark. Um, yeah, I think that's a... Best stadiums in baseball, but yeah, the team for the Pirates, that product is not going to be very good. Yeah, especially, you know, the Reds are right now 5-1 and one with the only loss being the game they got Castellanos ejected. Yeah. Uh, the Cardinals, you expect them to be good. Uh, I, I, get, I mean, the, the crazy thing is the team that's the, the two teams that I expect to be worst in the AL are not actually doing that bad in the Orioles and the Rangers. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's early. Uh, I don't anticipate the Orioles taking three from the Red Sox and one from the Yankees all season, but, uh, you know, I think that they prove that they have, you know, they have a couple guys who can pitch in that rotation. That's going to be pretty good. I mean, they did a good job against Boston and New York in limiting runs. Um, so I don't think they're going to be train wrecks this season, but I also don't, I don't see them maintaining this pace either. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they do going forward. Um, They're also in that same situation we talked about with the, like the evening of the AL where you can't imagine the, the top of the AL to have as good of records as the top of the NL. So conversely, you expect the bottom of the NL to have a worse record than the bottom of the AL. Yeah. If that no, happens. that's true. So, yeah. I guess if I, I guess I would, I would lean Rockies right now for worst team in baseball, but uh, low key look for the Pirates and look for maybe not the worst team in baseball, but the least exciting team in baseball with the Rangers. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we talked about, I talked about this with this um, uh, parent who I went to in Farmersville, but it feels like in two years they've replaced everyone from that team. Yeah. I think that they're going to have a lot of like 10 to six losses. I still think that there's some bats in the lineup that can make things happen, but that, that pitching staff is probably the worst in the league. Um, it's definitely so, up there. Yeah. So that's the one thing going against it. Cause that's another guy who, you know, is Joey Gallo going to be on the market? Cause you know, I think he's a trade candidate this year who can net some players because that's another position where it's like, really good defensive outfielder that can also hit for power. There's a lot of teams that can use a player like that in their lineup. 
So I think he's an interesting candidate. But I think the interesting thing with the uh, with the Rangers has just been how many of these guys that they kind of took flyers on have kind of worked out. Uh, David Dahl has been really good to start the season, and he was a guy who a couple of years ago looked pretty good, and then he battled some injuries and struggled last year. Um, he's been a pretty fun player. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Gallo's available, that becomes the interesting thing for the Rangers is uh, – you know, is he going to be on the move and where does he go? Yeah. The, the, especially, you know, we're talking about that, that division could go like five different ways with, are the Astros going to actually be like they were the last couple seasons? Are the athletics, anything are, is the angels, this good team, like you think they are like that, like the only constant I know is that the Mariners will be mediocre, but other yeah, they, that, they always seem prime for like 70, 70 wins. wins. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, they are, there's a great, uh, if anyone hasn't watched it, there's a great Dorktown documentary about the history of the Seattle Mariners. But I think they're the, the, the definition of fascinating to watch, mediocre on the field. Yeah. And that's very much what I feel about this current Mariners team. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, wrap this up with some quick NFL news. Uh, if you're wondering why the Draft Down podcast came out a little late this week, that's because I had to add a little bit about the stupid Sam Darnold trade. Uh, so we got news on Monday that Sam Darnold was traded from New York to Carolina for a sixth, the next year second, and the next year third, I believe. As the resident Patriots fan who probably watched a good amount of Darnold's games, what is your thoughts on Darnold to the to the Panthers? Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, I mean, first of all, do you problem. think he was going to be worth this much? No, that's my first part. I didn't think he was worth three draft picks, a second and a fourth, and a sixth this year. Um, so. It'll be interesting to see because here's the thing. I think there's a reason Sam Darnold was taking third overall, and that's because there is arm talent there. He has incredible arm talent, but I think what we're starting to see more with some of these quarterbacks that entered the league is there's a difference between arm talent and good. And I think that we see some of these guys and, you know, you'll see highlights of guys like Jameis Winston and Sam Darnold, and they'll make incredible throws. I know that this the one was going around – of him rolling to his left and making this insane throw and, you know, the free Sam Darnold things were going around and, you know, there is, you know, precedent for guys getting better when Adam Gase leaves. So that adds something to that equation too. But at the same time, I also think there is something too. you know, there are moments where I thought Joe Flacco gave the jets the best chance to win football games last season. And there is times where I thought, you know, there's a reason he's thrown double-digit interceptions every year he's been in the NFL, and that was a worry about him in college too, is that he makes too many dumb decisions with the football and throws into coverage. So while I think there's arm talent there, and it'll be interesting because I think Matt Rule is an excellent football developer for basically every position, it'll be interesting to see how he can harness that talent and you know put it into his offense. But there's still a lot of sample size that says this guy's just not it, man. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of, I think he was worth the flyer, but I thought it was a lot of capital for a flyer. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what Darnold, you know, how it works out for him in Carolina. I, I think I agree with you on 
almost everything you said there where, you know, this is a guy who really struggled even in his best moments, he struggled at points. And I think if you're looking at, I think this guy is definitely worth a flyer, but I definitely agree with you that what they gave for him was more than a flyer. Like for him to be given, I think even more than Carson Wentz, maybe a little bit less than Carson, but you know, Carson Wentz has won a Super Bowl. He honestly probably would have won 2017's MVP if he stayed healthy. So you talk about a guy like that versus Sam Darnold, who's looked okay at points, bad at other points. The one thing I'll say though, is I do see potential in him. And I do think going to Carolina will probably be the best thing for him. Cause if anyone can max out his talent, it's Carolina, it's Matt rule, it's Joe Brady. And it's this Panthers team that has, you know, McCaffrey, DJ Moore, um, who's the other wide receiver they have. Robbie uh, Robbie Anderson, Anderson <laughs> uh, possibly Kyle Pitts if they get him in the, at the pick eight, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the Panthers are a team that you, you know, is not going to be contending next year because they're still in a division with the saints and the bucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love, I'd love to see Tom Brady facing off against Sam Darnold again, but yeah, uh, it's going to be, I hope we see more of Sam Darnold. Cause I do think we've seen moments where he's been pretty good. I think of like the Cowboys game as like a moment where he really was maximizing his potential, but I do agree if you're going to be looking at that, I still think the Panthers gave up a lot for him. So the other thing is like, I know a lot of people are saying that some people are saying like, Oh, this doesn't necessarily disclude him from picking at eight. If a quarterback could just make sure they don't have to. And I'm like, you don't give up this draft capital unless you're certain on him being the guy. Now here's the interesting thing. I think, I think that the Panthers also think that my thought process, if I was thinking, you know, if I'm putting myself in their shoes, I think the two things you can look at is a, you gave up some cap draft capital, but I also think you can get some draft capital in return for Teddy Bridgewater, which then kind of makes but it. How much? A, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be as much as they gave up for Darnold, but I still think, you know, if you get a third and fourth round or fourth round pick in return, then all of a sudden you're looking at a second round pick and a sixth round pick. That's not terrible. Although I wouldn't, have wanted to give up a second round pick that's still not terrible that's high I, but i'd understand it's an extra second so i'd see that as you know possible yeah and but i also think that the panthers i mean i could be wrong on this but i feel like they think they close they're closer than that what they are um i, I think I, I think they're not that far on offense and i do think sam darnold I, first of all i think sam darnold is a much bigger improvement over teddy bridgewater I think last year we clearly saw the cap of where Teddy Bridgewater is as a quarterback. And I think Sam Darnold, he's probably not as good as Teddy Bridgewater is right now, but he has the potential to be way better than Teddy Bridgewater ever was. So he definitely has the lower floor, but he could have the higher ceiling if you figure some things out away from gaze. Yes. Um, But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, I just, you know, there are so many games where I feel like Darnold looked lost that I'm questioning it. But at the same time, you look at some of the throws he makes and you say, you know, I'll take a chance that I can figure it out with this guy. And, there, and that also um, discounts some of the games, especially in 2019, where he did look competent. Yeah. Despite, despite the team around him clearly crumbling around him. I don't necessarily blame him for last year, though. I think he is has to be part of the equation for last year. 
the one interesting also domino in that is it kind of proves how toxic the Deshaun Watson situation is now where I don't think if you're the Panthers, you make that trade. If there's any shred in hope, you think you can get Deshaun Watson or you can like land him. Yeah, he's untradeable right now. He's not going to get moved at all. Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But yeah, I don't think he's getting traded. But yeah, so I I think he's more likely to get kicked out of the league at this rate. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, But yeah, so there's basically two quarterbacks left in the draft in the first round. Um, And it's seemingly that there is a guarantee that's two teams that's interested in quarterbacks in Denver and New England. And Mm -hmm. then there's teams later in the draft in Chicago and Washington. And then there's, you know, wild cards in teams like Philadelphia, Miami, and Atlanta of do they take another quarterback? So I think that creates an interesting variable with this draft and what's yeah. left. And well, so like, for example, well, we, we did our first 10 picks this, this week in draft down. And uh, he predicted, uh, Adithia predicted Atlanta to take, or so the top two, everyone knows it's uh, Lawrence and Wilson. This, this week confirmed it. In fact, I love that moment of Schefter texting uh, Zach Wilson saying, congrats to the going to the New York Jets. <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so. uh, yeah, but then we, he had fields going three to the 49ers and Lance going four to the Falcons. I had Lance going three to the 49ers and fields originally going to Carolina and now going to nine to the Broncos. So yeah. I do think the interesting question I think does center around Mac Jones at the end of the day, I do think the 49ers to Mac Jones situation is all smokescreen. They, they just don't want to reveal which of the fields or the lances they want to go with, uh, which is idiotic because that's they know they're picking a quarterback at three. But, um, yeah, I, I do think the interesting scenario is Mac Jones to where is he going to go in the top 10? If he falls to 15, does New England take him? Or does he fall to – 19 to the Reds to the football team or 20 to the Chicago bears. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think he falls that far. I think we could see, I think if Atlanta isn't taking a quarterback, they should trade. Cause I, I just I, think that there's, I agree with you, but I also think it's a two way street. Yeah. Like if, if you're a team like Denver, why would you trade up? No team above, like the only team above you that really has a good shot of taking a quarterback from that four to nine range is Detroit. And I still think they have too many holes on that team to really go and draft a quarterback. So if you're Detroit and you really like, uh, like let's say the guy you don't like is taken at three. So like the guy you like is really available at four. What incentive do you have to trade up besides someone trading up with four, but at that point you still have other, I just don't think it's necessarily. Yeah. I think the tough thing is going to be that you're probably looking at teams like, you know, if there's quarterbacks available at six and seven and eight, then you are probably going to see teams like the bears, the Redskin, or bears in the football team yeah. are going to start getting involved with the phone calls. And obviously the Patriots are still also going to get involved. That would be the tough thing for the Broncos. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like as a Patriots fan, I guess from my perspective, if we can't trade up for Lance or Fields, like I like Mac Jones, but I don't know. Like I wouldn't trade up unless I know I can get Lance or Fields. 
that, um, that's my other thing too is like let's assume that it's your one of fields or lance is that fourth quarterback and you have mac jones the five and if you don't love the guy who's left like if you don't love lance and he's it's lance and jones i don't know why you would trade up because I don't yeah, think either yeah. of those guys are necessarily worth – like, I think Fields and Lance are, but if you're not sold on Fields or Lance, then I don't think, like, a guy like Mac Jones, a guy like Kyle Trask, there's been some talk about David Mills being a late-round, first-round pick guy. I don't know if any of those guys are trade-upable. That's my big concern about Jordan Love to the Packers, even yeah. more than just drafting quarterback, is that you traded up for a guy who not only was probably likely to be there at your pick, but – would have even been a reach at your pick. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if, if it's like Jones is basically the last man standing for the Patriots, I'd rather them wait till the second or third round and see if a guy like Mills or Kellen Mond's available. Because so, so you would prefer, like, let's say scenario wise, you could get Rashad Bateman, Jalen Phillips, an offensive lineman or Mac Jones. Yeah, I probably like if Rashawn Slater's there, or actually, I don't think an offensive line would be that necessary. If a Jalen Phillips is there or Mac Jones, I'd probably say take Phillips because okay. here's the thing: I don't think the drop off for ceilings of these quarterbacks, like I think the floor for Mac Jones is probably higher than some of the guys in the second round. But I think the ceilings of like a Mac Jones compared to the ceilings of a a Kellen Mond or Davis Mills, I don't think those ce- ceilings are that far apart personally like i could see a guy like mond being just as good if not better because of his skill set of being able to run and also i think having a slightly better deep ball than mac jones um i could see mond having a higher ceiling than a guy like jones maybe it's because i'm an a&m fan but i don't see like i I still am amazed that mond is being discussed as a second round pick he I, I, again, I get the idea that he has the arm talent and maybe if you put him on an offense that better suits his skill set, maybe he can do it. But we've seen, you know, again, Mon to me is the complete definition of an inconsistent quarterback to where even in plays on drives, he would be very inconsistent where he, he throws is. people. I just don't see the talent of a second round pick at all. I would be surprised yeah. if he's, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that he is inconsistent and that was so maddening about him in A&M, but I do think, you know, there's a guy with a lightning quick release there. There's a guy with incredible arm strength and there's a guy who, you know, has athleticism to his game that I think you can work with. You know, we've seen guys who are inconsistent in college, be able to figure some things out away from it. And I think Mond has some of that. I think Mills is another guy who kind of had the worst college experience alive because he was thrown into the situation He's thrown into it his redshirt freshman year in Stanford when KJ Costello, uh, KJ got hurt. And then his second year, I think he started the year with COVID, came back, struggled with that. So he's another guy who was a huge recruit out of Georgia. I think he was, I think he was actually the third quarterback on the list below uh, Lawrence and Fields. Um, out of Georgia? At, well, and also in the country. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah. So I think he was the third quarterback on the list that year and then basically got the worst situation in Stanford where that team also had a huge drop-off in talent from typical Stanford teams. So he had a lot going against him, plus being thrown into the situations that I would take a chance on that talent too, even though he struggled. I think he's going to take a couple of years to develop though because of it. 
Um, so, you know, I think those are two guys that I'd look at in the second and third round and say, maybe we could just roll with one of these guys and see what happens rather mm-hmm. than try and, you know, build a team around Mac Jones when, you know, mm-hmm. I think you can trade for Garner Minshew and get just as good a production. Yeah. The one thing I'll say though, and it's true, I think about like the Patriots and to a less, I think the Broncos and the bears are the most quarterback needy teams left, but even then, like they have a plan if they can't get their guy. Like if they can't get fields or Lance or don't want to settle on Mac Jones, they can go into next season saying, we'll run it out with Drew uh, Locke, see what happens. If it doesn't work, then fire the coach, restart the program. We'll see next year. Uh, The bears really look like they're going in with Andy Dalton. I think they're hoping that they can get like a Mac Jones or a, a guy available in the first round so they can at least have an insurance plan going forward but like if you're talking about like washington they have ryan fitzpatrick and taylor heineke and from all i've seen they seem fine with that like they seem more than content with going into that uh patriots seem like they're more than content with cam newton uh though obviously his contract is very structured if they want to get another guy um yeah you're talking about like the the dolphins and the eagles the eagles are the team i still don't know what direction they'd go in like obviously they really like zach wilson before he left uh he was no longer available but could they still be just wanting to get rid of jalen hurts it's it's a it's an interesting scenario and it's i think the quarterbacks are the domino that's going to be really interesting to see how it falls yeah And I think the one thing for the Patriots, too, is that, you know, if they don't love the quarterbacks in the draft, I still think there's quarterbacks available. You know, we talked about Teddy Bridgewater. We talked about, you know, I mentioned Gardner Minshew. And, you know, if Atlanta takes a Justin Fields, you know, is Matt Ryan available for the right price? So I think that there's quarterbacks available in this draft or, you know, just around the league that, you know, they don't have to feel like that they have to marry to a quarterback right now to build their future around. They can get somebody somewhere that I think there's still plenty of options for them, even if they, you know, you know, they could still really feel confident in Cam Newton, but they don't have to, you know, put all their eggs in that basket. The big question mark will come once Atlanta selects. Uh, We talked about this in our podcast, the draft down one, but uh, Atlanta could go in like five different directions, quarterback, offensive Lineman defensive availability. Uh, Kyle Pitts is obviously an option. And so I think where they go, what Atlanta decides to do, will decide how the rest of the draft goes in terms of quarterbacks, in terms of offensive linemen, in terms of skill position players. How they get selected, I think, will be determined by how Atlanta selects. So, And obviously, if they trade, that's another huge decision overall. Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I don't really think they should go quarterback personally. Um, I still think Matt Ryan has some juice in him. So I also probably... think, you know, the one thing is you're going to be settling for whoever you're getting because yeah. you're going to be selecting the fourth guy. Like why, why shouldn't they just take Kyle Pitts and have like a monster, you know, who's yeah. defending Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. I mean, I, I had them selecting Panay Sewell just because I think that offensive line is a year or two away from being terrible. So essentially get a good start on rebuilding that offensive line. You don't know what you're going to get out of Jake Matthews next year. So if you're sledding Sewell and putting him alongside him, I understand Pitts is this huge upside and 
he is the best tight end to come out of Florida since he who who shall not be named. Uh, you, yeah, I think there's three guys who I feel like. I think there's three guys I'd be willing to bet on their sure things in the uh, for the NFL in this draft. Uh, or no, probably two. You could talk me into Micah Parsons as well, but I think for sure I think there's two guys I'm willing to bet on their sure things, and that's Kyle Pitts and Penny Sewell. Yeah, I just think that they have insane skill sets, are the best at their position, and yeah, I mean I think either of those guys I think could be are going to be really good in the league, and people are going to be happy with them. I obviously, you know, also really believe in Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson. But it's a quarterback, quarterback, yeah. Quarterback is just so hard to project personally. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Penny Sewell and Kyle Pitts are my two sure things. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about Micah Parsons is, as we talked about in a previous draft down, he has this, like, at character concerns that could be – really detrimental to him going forward now obviously he had a great pro day and he seems like he's his off-season workouts have taken like his elevation and maybe alleviated some of those concerns but I do think we've heard some of those like risks from Penn State so I wouldn't be surprised if he if he does go high if he is a bust yeah yeah I mean I think football talent wise he feels like a sure thing and that's the same thing with Sewell and yes the only problem with him is I still don't know where he plays yeah that's fair. But yeah, I, I do feel like Pitt, Pitts and Sewell look like the real deal and look like they're going to be longtime pros. Totally. Well, y'all, thank y'all for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. Next week, uh, we'll talk some more NBA, uh, continue with some of our MLB talk, and uh, see what's go- some of the big news around the sports world. My name is Jackson King. I'm Kyle Gronin. And thank y'all for listening to this week's episode. Thanks and gig em. Peace.